Okay, everyone, if you guys want to put your envelopes away and grab your Bibles out, can you if you, and if you could turn to 1 Peter 4, that's where we're going to be reading. Um, my name is Leslie, and I'm a student leader here. My co-leader is Maddie. So, yeah. That's my roommate. <laughs> so we're going to be reading 1 Peter 12 through 19, or 1 Peter 4, 12 through 19. And it says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or a thief, or an evildoer, or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel? What will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Let's pray. Yeah, God, I just thank you for your word and how it reveals so much truth about you. Um, yeah, just fill this space with your presence and allow us to learn something new tonight. Um, I thank you for Sam and his willingness to share and teach us tonight. Um, work through him to reach us. In your name, amen. Hello, the Salt Company. Okay. Last time I taught, I got like radio jammed or something. So Connor is the music, or not the music, I'm not the music, my sound is working, okay. Hello, everybody, my name is uh, Sam Roberts, if we haven't met yet, um, nice to meet you, uh, it's been wonderful meeting you just now. Um, okay, um, I never know how to start, and it, it's always pretty rough, but uh, my name is Sam Roberts, this happened last time doing that, I always say my name like three times. I work on staff at Doxa Church. I should always just start with that. Um, I work on staff full-time at Doxa Church. Uh, the main thing that I do is I oversee local missions um, for Doxa, which is basically just kind of figuring out um, what does it look like for our church to bless the community um, around us, and then also how do we disciple our Christians um, to uh, love the poor and vulnerable um, around us um, in our every day lives. That's the main thing that I do. The other thing that I do is visual arts. I actually, that's what I went to school for, um, for graphic design. So if you see me um, at the camera uh, operating that, sometimes that's why I'm there. You don't have to be confused. Like he said he was the local missions director, and, but he just sits at the camera every week. What did Connor say? If, if you see, if it looks like me, it's me unless it's not or something. So I can't remember. It, it made me laugh. So same applies to me. Um, so nice to meet you. Okay, tonight we are continuing our series uh, through the um, book of First Peter, um, and tonight we are going to be talking about um, suffering and following Jesus. Um, and Peter has brought up suffering a handful of times now, um, and so some of the stuff that I'm, I'm going to be talking uh, through tonight isn't necessarily anything new, but as we are kind of rounding out the, the back kind of third of the book, um, Peter's wrapping up his thoughts, and, and it's funny, like, the text right before this one that we went through last week has, like, kind of certain, uh, a certain sense of finality to it. Like, uh, there's, like, three different phrases, like, uh, the end is at hand, and therefore, after all of this, you know, 
And, and then he literally ends it, amen. And it feels like he's like wrapped up his thoughts. Um, and perhaps this is anachronistic of me, but it feels a little bit like um, a, a Midwest goodbye. Like, are you guys familiar with this phrase? This happens so much. Like when I be like in college visiting my mom uh, back home and stuff and like trying to leave, you know, the Midwest goodbye where you're like, you've said bye like five times, much like how I had like three introductions, you know? Um, and like, I, it would get to the point where like, I literally would have to like leave the door open in the middle of winter so that my mom can like physically feel like we've said bye many, many times. But you just keep thinking of things to like say, right? Peter similarly, um, he's, he said his piece and then he's got a couple of things he's gonna wrap up the letter with. And here tonight, he's like, okay, seriously, right? Like you've got your backpack on, you're about to go out the door. He's like, no, listen, seriously. You're going to encounter suffering in this life following Jesus, and I want to help you be prepared to know how to suffer. Not if you're going to suffer, but how to suffer. And um, as he's doing this, um, he's kind of prepping us, not for a quick, short sprint out the door, but a long, steady run with Jesus for the rest of our lives. And so I likewise want to kind of um, give you what I know from my life and from this text tonight to prep you for a long run with Jesus and how to suffer. Um, A a, a couple things quick about me, how this text is kind of personal to me. Um, Feels like show and tell. I have a prop. Um, So this is a, a, what is called a light therapy lamp. Um, And basically when I was in college, in your shoes, around sophomore year, I kind of put it together um, that I was suffering from what's known as seasonal affective disorder. Uh, And basically what that is, is um, my brain, uh, come wintertime, there's less sunlight out, because, you know, days are shorter, the earth is farther from the sun, tilt to the axis, all that, you know. Um, and my brain, because less sunlight is hitting the retina at the back of my eye, my brain thinks, oh, it must be nighttime all the time. You know what we should do is just make a ton of melatonin so that we're tired all the time. Uh, and basically makes you sluggish. The brain produces less serotonin, um, gives the uh, side effects of depression. Um, some of that sluggishness, some of its mood swings, some of its headaches. Uh, and, and some people, you know, it's more commonly known as, as seasonal um, depression. And as I was a sophomore in college kind of putting this together, I was kind of realizing, like, um, I uh, have had struggles with anxiety for many years now, um, but I'm noticing that it's, like, extra acute in the winter, and I just felt like I was, like, floundering. And, like, I'm doing all the right things, I'm trying to be healthy and stuff, and, like, you know, I, I, genu- I trust in Jesus. Like, I don't understand. I'm praying for this to go away and stuff. And, and I remember, um, you know, at that time, talking to my mom about it and being like, I, th- I think that I have seasonal affective disorder. And she's like, well, I, that would make sense. I was like, why would that make sense? Other than, you know, me being sad all the time. Um, and, and you can laugh at that. I, I laugh about it now because it's like how I cope with it or whatever. But anyway, you'll know when not to laugh. But Anyway, um, so uh, I am telling her this, and she's like, that makes sense, because when you were a kid, I would always find you, like, you would leave the room to wherever the sunlight was. Like, you'd be playing in the family room, and then I'd look back, and you'd be gone, and then I'd find you in the living room. You'd, you'd picked up all of your toys and moved to wherever the sunlight was, and you've always struggled 
uh, come winter time when there's less sunlight. And so for uh, my birthday one year, she got me this. I'll turn it on. I won't point it at you lest I, you know, mess up your circadian rhythms. But um, <laughs> sophomore year, every morning, I'd get up. And I'm also going to try and not shine at me so that I can go to sleep tonight. But in the morning, I'd get up. And for like 15 minutes to an hour, I'd sit, have my breakfast, um, drink my coffee, read my Bible. And I'd just sit in front of this. Um, so that this light therapy lamp would kind of trick my brain into thinking it was summertime, um, and by God's grace, maybe um, lessen the side effects of um, seasonal depression. Now, one of the hardest parts about that wasn't even just the depression, but feeling like I'm not supposed to be depressed. I don't know what to do. And at that point in my life, God was starting to teach me how to suffer as I followed Jesus. And so Peter wants to do that for us too. So first I need to address sort of an elephant in the room, um, which is, you know, if this had a title, it would be How to Suffer. Uh, but it can be weird, especially if this is, <laughs> yeah, I'm laughing because I was planning on saying this, but if this is your first night coming, I didn't even think like, you know, we've already brought up money, so that probably is already weird. But now it's, I'm teaching you like, here's how you suffer. And you might be thinking like, I don't want to suffer. <laughs> like, could I like not, <laughs> you know, like it feels like you showed up at, at a class and the person at the front of the room is like, all right, I'm going to teach you how to be excellent fine artists. And you're like, I thought this was cooking. I don't, I'm not supposed to be here. Like, I don't want to suffer, period. Why are you teaching me how to suffer? I didn't sign up for this. Um, and as Peter will make it clear in this text, and, and David even got into this a couple weeks ago um, as he taught, um, if you are a follower of Jesus, um, you kind of did actually sign up to suffer in this life. Um, but then second, um, the text also makes it clear that suffering isn't something that you can avoid. And not only that, it's, it's not something that we need to avoid and we don't need to be surprised specifically um, when we, we come under suffering because of our choice to follow Jesus. Tonight, Peter's going to talk about a couple different ways of suffering. He's going to start with um, talking about suffering broadly just in general, and then get into specifics, specifically suffering because of your choice to follow Jesus and oppose that um, to negative ways um, to suffer. So, like I said, Peter's going to prepare us for a long run, not a short sprint. Let's see what he has to say. Okay, first thing, how to suffer. To suffer well following Jesus, you have to replace your shame with rejoicing. Replace your shame with rejoicing. Um, so look with me first at verse 12. It says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Evidently, the, the, the people in this church that, that Peter is talking to um, are, you know, at best surprised, at worst, like frustrated, confused, like <laughs> I chose to follow Jesus and, and now like, this sucks, <laughs> like we're being persecuted for it, what is going on? And he's saying, you, you shouldn't be surprised, but specifically, don't be surprised at the fiery trial. And why does he use that language? Well, the first reason that we should replace our shame with rejoicing is because um, Jesus tells us that we are like gold being refined in a fire. Okay, so if, um, you know, you have like your Bible in front of you, you can hold a finger in chapter four and look back at um, one, uh, chapter 1, verse 6, it says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have uh, been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, 
that perishes though it is tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so Peter, he's using the exact same phrase that you would have used to talk about literal gold, right? So I have a gold ring. It looks nice if I say so myself. I'm not trying to brag about it or whatever, but um, it's not full of like crud, right? Because the gold was passed through a fire and the impurities were taken off. And so the Bible makes this like interesting case that when we choose to follow Jesus, we're made into something new And when we suffer various trials, God uses that to strip the old us away and make us more and more into a new creation. In James, the author of James puts it like this. He says, Consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing Rejoice because your gold being refined in fire. But, and this I think is like the craziest thing. He, he, he goes on um, and says that you shouldn't be ashamed, specifically. And, and that makes sense because, you know, whether you're suffering because of something bad that you did or just like something by no fault of your own, it's difficult to not feel some level of shame uh, when you're suffering. Especially in this context that he's writing to and in honor-shame culture, I'm in the uh, Near Eastern ancient world. Anybody inflicted by any suffering, be that persecution or just poverty or whatever, they would have uh, felt an acute sense of shame. And he's saying, no, 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 you shouldn't feel ashamed. Rather, it's blessed when you're insulted. And so let's see, this is verse 14. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. And you know, as I was reading this this week, I, I thought like, if you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed. That sounds like super familiar, right? Like maybe some of you that, that have been around the church for a minute um, and have heard, you know, just different passages preach from, you're like, I recognize that. Where is it from? And it's because he's quoting almost verbatim Jesus himself. And so in Matthew 5, at the Sermon on the Mount, um, in verse 11, a lot of you actually probably know uh, verse 13. That's when he's going to say, you are the salt of the earth. That's what our ministry is named after. Right before that, verse 11, he says, You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven, for that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Okay. So, something that we need to get as we read this text, any text in the Bible, but specifically tonight, is Peter writing this was like an actual dude that actually lived. And just like if you were writing a letter to someone or, I don't know, a memoir, none of us are going to write, like, memoirs. Maybe you are. I don't know. I'm not judging if you write an autobiography someday. But you are recounting things that happened in your life. Even if you're not explicitly saying it, you have these in the back of your head. And so I guarantee you, as Peter's saying, hey, when you're insulted, you're actually blessed. He has in the back of his mind, I was there when Jesus said this in his earthly ministry on the Sermon on the Mount. But listen, this, this is crazy, okay? So he's already referenced this earlier, right? When he, when he said it in, uh, earlier in the chapter, with respect to this, they're surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauch- debauchery and they malign you. And we talked about this, like, you will be, you know, teased at best, persecuted at worst for your faith in Jesus, whatever that looks like. For some of you, you'll start dating. 
and you'll get that awkward question, and I don't know, I hate even saying it out loud, I feel embarrassed, but I mean, we got it, like when me and my wife started dating, how is the sex? Weird, I hated saying that out loud. But you will get that, and then you will have to answer, you know, I, we're, uh, we're abstaining, or whatever, you know, however you answer that. We're not having sex, we're waiting for marriage. And you very well might get made fun of. And I hope that in that moment you can say, well, because of my faith in Jesus, da 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 Maybe it's like in the office someday, people are passing racist jokes, sexist jokes, whatever. And you know, like that, it's not right. And I can't participate. And I might even need to speak up and say something. This is going to be so awkward. They're going to make fun of me. But I want to follow Jesus. And it might be awkward and weird and, and you might get made fun of. Or... Great example, spending money. What if you do take Connor's advice? People are very well might be like, you're crazy. Save up for yourself, you know? So there's just a million different ways that, that you'll have chances to choose, am I going to be insulted for Jesus or not? And so Peter has this in mind as he's writing this, but something else that you need to know about Peter if you don't know this is that in his life, he kind of was the guy to just like say what was on his mind, right? And um, as Jesus is telling them, I'm going to go to Jerusalem to die for the sins of the world. Peter's like, absolutely not. I won't let it happen. And Jesus is like, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm, I'm going to die, Peter. And on the night of his death, he says, listen, you're all going to abandon me. And Peter says, maybe the others. I don't know. But I am absolutely not going to abandon you, Jesus. I will follow you to the grave. And Jesus says, Peter, not only are you going to abandon me, but you are going to deny me three times tonight before you hear a rooster crow. And then in Luke 22, verse 54, it says, They seized him, led him away, and brought him into the high priest's house. Meanwhile, Peter was following at a distance. They lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, and Peter sat among them. When a servant saw him sitting in the light and looked closely at him, she said, This man was with him too talking about Jesus. But Peter, he denied it. Woman, I, I don't know him. After a little while, someone else saw him and said, you're one of them too. Man, I am not, Peter said. About an hour later, another kept insisting, this man was certainly with him, since he's also a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. Then the Lord Jesus turned and looked at Peter. So Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went outside, Peter, and wept bitterly. That is trauma that Peter is drawing from. And trauma of remembering the shame that he probably felt when Jesus asked him when he was resurrected, do you love me? Three times. And, and, and he has this kind of thought in his mind of like, I know what it's like. I was there when Jesus said, you'll be blessed for being insulted. But not only that, I was there when he was being killed. And I said, no, I can't follow that. But this is so crazy to me. Acts 5, verse 40. Jesus is resurrected. He's ascended to heaven. He sent the Holy Spirit. The church has started. It's exploding. The religious authorities are not cool with it. Um, they're persecuting the initial apostles who are starting this Jesus movement. And it says, when they called in the apostles, 
They beat them, charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were even counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. And so Peter's trying to plead with his audience, listen, I know it doesn't feel good, right? And that's important to know. Suffering, it's not like Peter's saying, no, suffering's good, or no, it doesn't hurt, you know? Absolutely it's bad, and absolutely it hurts, but he's saying, if you suffer for Jesus' namesake, you can rejoice, because your gold being refined in a fire, and you are considered worthy to suffer. He says that it's evidence that the Holy Spirit rests upon you and lives in you, so you can replace your shame with rejoicing. Okay, next. How to suffer. You replace your dread with hope. Look with me at verse 13. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. So very, very interesting. The word glory actually comes up three times in this text. And here where he's saying that you might rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. He's talking about on the last day when our resurrected bodies see Jesus' resurrected body, king of the universe, and his full glory is on display. Really quick, glory, that word uh, to some of us, whether you're new to church, you might be like, I don't really ever hear that um, word ever used. And if you've been in church for a while, it can just feel like really Christian-y. Um, as Peter's thinking about it, he probably has in the back of his mind the Hebrew word for glory. Um, actually, a lot of it, you probably know the, the, the Greek word for glory. It's actually doxa, and that's the text that um, is in here several times. It's what our church is named after. Um, the Hebrew word kavod, glory, literally means heaviness. Heaviness, the idea of like, <sighs> it's really hard to express. But just think, you know, think like, uh, whoever your hero is, um, and maybe unless it's like your dad or something, that's awesome if your dad's your hero or whatever, but think like a celebrity that you've never met that's your hero, and you're going to class, um, and, and you walk in, and you think it's just going to be a normal lect- lecture, um, and you walk in, and that hero, whoever it is, is standing at the front. A lot of things probably run through your head. You're like, am I in the wrong class again? Um, you know, I, I didn't know we were going to have a guest speaker, but one of those feelings is like, oh, I'm not supposed to be here. Heaviness. Peter's saying that we have hope because one day we can rejoice now because on that day, when Jesus' full glory, heaviness, is revealed, you'll know this was all worth it. And these, like, pale in comparison, but it's like, you know, I've never been pregnant, I will never be pregnant, but from what I'm told, it's very arduous, and i you know, I'm keen to believe um, the people who've told me that. Um, but I've never met someone um, who, after nine months of being pregnant and then going through labor, did not feel like, you know, this was worth it. And I, and I don't have, uh, you know, children of my own, but I do have nieces and nephews, and I always remember the first time I hold them when they're infants in my arms, and I just feel like I am holding a, a human I'm holding like an eternity in my arms, like a new story. And I just feel like, 
this was worth the wait. Or, or on my wedding day, um, December 28th, 2019, when I, I see like my bride turn and come down the aisle and I'm like, oh, this was worth the wait. And I choked up and, you know, there's really funny photos of, anyway, I don't know why I'm telling you that. On that day, when you see Jesus, you will say, this was worth it. But what, what you need to get is it's not just like the glory's revealed, like good for you. That's awesome. Certainly, we will be worshiping Jesus forever, and he deserves that, and we will be rejoicing in our worship of him. But also, you need to get that this is twofold. The revelation of his glory is also for our good, because his glory is in his resurrected body. And his resurrected body means that we get to live. Look uh, at chapter 3, verse 18. Peter makes this case earlier in the book. As we're going through these various trials, he's trying to say like, look, this happened to Jesus, so now this is going to happen to us. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. And so for, for those of us that are in Jesus, that have placed our hope and trust in Jesus, the resurrection means that in the end, everything is going to be okay. Everything is going to be set right. And, you know, as I was thinking about this this week, um, I'm doing like a kind of like a, uh, Bible, read the Bible in a year plan. Um, I've been doing it for about a year and I'm halfway through, so it's, I guess, a two-year plan now. But um, I'm in Revelation now. I'm almost there. Um, but it's like mixed up. That made it sound like I'm almost done, but I'm really, I'm not. Anyway, uh, Revelation 1. I read this this week. Revelation 1.17, when the Apostle John is talking about when, when he has this vision of Jesus' glory revealed to him, says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. He laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. I was dead, but look, I'm alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. The resurrection is something that I've been thinking a lot about this year because I know that it's important, and I always always have, um, but it, it can be easy to think like, Jesus died for my sins, and that's kind of it. And we, we stopped, at, you know, thinking about the fact that, like, a dead person got up from the grave. Um, but I'm realizing more and more that so much, all of my hope is in that, that Jesus is alive, that the tomb is empty, and that I have hope for a new life when everything is resurrected, when everything is made right. Um, the author Esau McCauley, in in his book, Reading While Black, he describes it like this. He says, this side of the second coming, there will continue to be Babylons. As long as there is a Babylon, the oppressed will weep beside its willows. Nonetheless, it is precisely when the wooing of the cross feels its weakest that I must do the hard work of asking myself the most important questions. Is Christianity a hypothesis or a method of approaching the world? Did the Messiah provide us with a philosophy like Socrates? If Christianity is mere method, a way of approaching reality, then it is inadequate. But if Christ is risen, trampling down death by death, then the world is a different place, even when I do not experience it as such. So when you go through suffering following Jesus, replace your dread 
that feeling of like, it's not going to be all right with hope. And not just like wistful, like, I think it'll be okay, but like, I know because Jesus is alive, everything's going to be set right. Okay, last thing that he says to do. Replace your shame with rejoicing. Replace your dread with hope. And Peter says we should entrust our soul while doing good. So he's summing up his thoughts in this little section, right? And verse 19, you can look with me, it says, Therefore, because of all this that I just said, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So two things first. Um, I want to touch on quick the uh, kind of while doing good part. Um, so he says, entrust your soul while doing good. And, and when he says while doing good, it, it's basically like him saying, like, keep going. Like, doing good is like all of it, right? Like, it, it's much like the Great Commission where Jesus, his last words to his disciples is, you know, go um, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them everything that I taught you. And so th- this looks super ordinary. It's just keep living following Jesus. It looks like praying. It looks like being there for your friends. It looks like regularly caring for the vulnerable around you. It can feel ethereal. It can look like really spiritual when you read that on the page, but this is super practical. Again, not a short sprint out of here, but a long, steady run. So um, here's the thing. Well, actually, first two. With that, when we come under suffering, look at um, verse 16, um, or sorry, verse 15, rather. He says, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. And so there's kind of a couple ways that you could read this. On one hand, you know, you could think that the, the readers are, uh, you know, hearing Peter say like, hey, it's actually like blessed to suffer. And they're like, got it, suffer. And, you know, they go like, I don't know, rob a bank or murder someone or something. And then they get put in prison. And they're like, I'm suffering. And Peter's like, that's not what I meant, you know. That could be a reading of it. I, I think probably what's more accurate to what Peter is saying in that verse and in saying, and trust your souls while doing good. And hear me say this. Those of you in the room, you will feel at times treated like a thief, right? Though you haven't done anything wrong. And you will be tempted, because this is just human nature, to say, okay, fine. I'll steal. I'll cut corners. Or maybe you'll be treated like a gossip. And you think, well, if I'm going to be punished like a gossip, I might as well, you know, get even in gossip, right? And Peter's trying to say, no, 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 please. It's better to do good and suffer for that than, than to suffer injustice and then get even by doing bad. Because honestly, how many of us know people in our lives that have suffered abuse, you know, divorce, whatever, pain, even specifically like from their parents to then turn around and do it to somebody else? And Jesus wants to offer us a way out of that, to not continue that cycle, but turn, suffer injustice, following Jesus, and do good. So that's doing good. But this last part, and I, I want to like take my time on this, because I think that this is the most difficult thing that Peter says in this section, maybe in the letter. 
He says, entrust your soul to a faithful creator. And you got to imagine these people, you know, they're bummed because they're like, we thought following Jesus was going to be awesome, but we're being persecuted in this church now. And they, and they hear this, hey, entrust your soul to a faithful creator. And maybe you in this room can feel that, hear that, and feel like, that sounds great. I don't know what that means. <laughs> I don't know what I'm supposed to do with that. And trust, like, just like, I trust you, God. I don't know, you know. <laughs> and I want to pause and, and recognize, like, those of us in the room that are suffering from real pain and suffering, like, this is not a simple thing. It's not an easy thing. I don't know what it feels like to be a victim of sexual assault. I don't. But I know that based on statistics that one out of every five women in this room probably do. And I don't know what it feels like to experience racism your whole life. And more than that, you know, have the, the people closest to you doubt it when, when you describe it to them. I don't. But I know that there's people in this room that do. And I just want you to know that Jesus does know. He does know and he cares. And he's asking you, trust me. And trust your soul to me. And I think like the best I can do to describe this is just kind of share with you like what this looked like for me when I was in your shoes when I was a sophomore, junior in college. So I told you, you know, um, I was using this thing. I still use this thing. It varies winter to winter, like how bad the seasonal affective disorder is, but God's grace this year has actually like not been that bad. But especially when I was in the thick of it in college, I was using this like every day. And I was going to the gym like every other day. And I was eating healthy every day. And I was praying every day. And I was trying to do just absolutely everything. And I just kept feeling like I'm not making any progress. It's just so dark all the time. And um, junior year of college, um, I remember I was seeing a, a counselor on campus because Iowa State had um, like free counseling services. And my counselor was kind of helping me um, work through um, what she called acceptance therapy, which was basically helping me figure out how to accept that I was dealing with currently and probably future um, anxiety and depression. And she gave me a couple analogies. And the first one, she's like, um, do you remember seeing like in movies and in cartoons like quicksand growing up? I was like, yes, I remember quicksand growing up. And um, she's like, what are you not supposed to do when you're in quicksand? And I was like, move, right? And she's like, exactly. Like when you're in quicksand, you're supposed to not like, you know, fight it and try to, you know, get, get out of it because you'll just sink faster, but relax and, um, you know, rise back up to the top or whatever. And I think she could probably tell that I wasn't, you know, tracking with like the analogy or whatever. Um, but then she gave me this other analogy. And she was like, I want you to imagine that you're like in a boat like a sailboat and you can see this storm coming on and it's a huge storm and you know it's going to be bad and you don't know how wide the storm is and you have two options to either try and go around the storm or cut straight through it what do you think is like the better option and 
Um, I was like, I assume it's to cut straight through it. And she's like, right. And I'm like putting it together. I'm like, is my seasonal depression the storm? And she's like, that's right. And I was like, so mad. <laughs> I was like, I didn't come here to be told like, you're depressed, keep being depressed, you know. And that's in fairness, not what she was saying. But, but I was like, I came to figure out how to get around this storm or not have this storm, you know. And I remember like tears in my eyes <laughs> asking my counselor like, do you mean to tell me that I could have depression every winter for the rest of my life and I'm supposed to accept it? And she was like, yeah, kind of, yeah. And I was like just so mad and I left and I was like, it makes sense and I believe you, but it's like really hard to swallow. I'm just going to have to like think about it, you know. And I left and I was at the library on campus and just like bums and just couldn't get it off like my mind. Like, I can't believe she said that to me. Like, what a terrible counselor and stuff like that, you know. And I just like had that image of like the stormy sea like in my mind. And I felt like the Holy Spirit was like pulling me to just like read a passage that I was familiar with. Um, another story from Peter's life of a time that he and the other disciples and Jesus were in a boat in a storm. And so I'm sitting at the library and I flip to Mark chapter 4. I'm reading this story that I've read like a hundred times before. Um, and it says, On that day, when evening had come, he told them, Let's cross over to the other side of the sea. So they left the crowd and took him along since he was in the boat. And other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose. The Greek literally, it says, a mega storm arose and the waves were breaking over the boat so that the boat was already being swamped. He was in the stern, sleeping on the cushion. So they woke him up and said, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to die? And that was me praying that, Jesus, do you not care? says he got up he rebuked the wind and said to the sea silence be still the wind ceased and there was a great calm then he said to them why are you afraid do you still have no faith they were terrified it literally means they were they had mega fear and asked one another who then is this even the wind and the sea obey him. <laughs> and I started crying in public like I'm doing now. Um, and I was like, <laughs> I am going through a storm. I don't feel like I can make it. But there is a bigger storm <laughs> in the back of the boat. His name's Jesus. All of you, whether you're going through something today or you're going to go through something 30 years from now, I just please want you to hear me say, Jesus is in the boat with you. And so if the tomb really is empty, everything is going to be okay. Because Jesus is going to set everything right. And when I say everything's going to be okay, I'm not saying 
you're going to have like this fairy tale ending at the end of the road or whatever, right? You literally could end up one day being martyred for your faith, like Peter, the author of this book, was. But at the end of the end of the day, Jesus is king and everything will be made right. And at the end of the Bible, as the Apostle John is describing the end, the end of everything, when Jesus' glory is revealed, he says, Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I'm making everything new. Night will be no more. Amen. I might have to use this for the rest of my life. This (laughs) stupid therapy light. But on that day, night will be no more. People will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. (laughs) Because the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. Salt Company students, you are going to suffer in this life. Be that choosing to follow Jesus, be that things completely out of your control. But you do not need to have shame. You can rejoice. You don't have to feel dread like I'm dying all the time. You are allowed to have hope. And you're safe with Jesus because Jesus is in the boat. I am, Peter is, trying to equip you not for a short sprint out of here, but for a long run with Jesus for the rest of your life. And I can just absolutely guarantee you, on that day, you will know this was worth it. Let's pray. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your word, God. Pray, God, that this would just be an encouragement to us tonight. And pray, God, that we could leave this room and just dwell um, on your word more. That we wouldn't, you know, just leave it at that, but go back and read this passage the rest of this week for the rest of our lives, God. And God, would you please help us when we don't feel your glory to do what the text says, to glorify your name. To, to confess, it really is that heavy. And Jesus really is that worth it. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for being in the boat with us tonight, Lord. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.